The full power of the gospel of Jesus Christ is contained in the Book of Mormon, period. Remember this declaration by Jesus himself. Whoso treasureth up my word shall not be deceived. And in the last days, neither your heart nor your faith will fail you. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 91 of the Book of Mormon podcast. As always, you have me, Shelby here, and Kevin, your co-host of the podcast. And we are starting a new book in the Book of Mormon, and we're in Alma, and we're starting Alma chapter 1 today. And Alma is a long book. (laughs) I feel like when we read the Book of Mormon, sometimes we get there and we're like, all right, let's get through Alma. But I think there's a lot to learn from Alma. And Kevin, you had some thoughts about that this morning. Yeah, I was reading in the Book of Mormon student manual. Mm -hmm. And I've heard this before, but it, it talks about the comparative links of the Book of Mormon like books in the Book of Mormon and their different time periods uh, that they cover. And it says the inordinate amount of writing for a rather small period of history alerts the reader that the time of the Book of Mormon history covered by the Book of Alma is especially parallel and relevant for our time. Hmm. And, And I think the reason that that's true, because as I read it just now, and as I read it earlier, I thought, what does that have to do with why it's relevant to us? Like, why is it not that it was just a bunch of important history and doctrine that Mormon, inspired by the Holy Ghost, thought, yeah, it needs to be in here, Hmm. right? Like, why, why is that? Why does that make it more important for us? And then, of course, we have to remember that the Book of Mormon was written and preserved for our day. It wasn't it wasn't necessarily written for the days of the people who were living and writing it. I'm sure they recorded some of it for themselves and they taught among themselves. But, you know, it wasn't put on gold plates um, for the people of that time. By the time it was being put on gold plates by Mormon and then later Moroni, a lot of the Nephites were dead. Yeah. So this is this is something important for us. And um, then I turned my thoughts to the Doctrine and Covenants. Because likewise, the Doctrine and Covenants is a big old book. <laughs> and it really took place. It was, you know, a compilation of revelations. Uh, from a relatively small period in history, you know, from 1830. um, And I didn't actually prepare, but I know that it doesn't go too much further past the death of Joseph Smith. Um, And it has a few official declarations that reach into the 20th century, but primarily it, it covers no more than a hundred years of history of the saints. Likewise, in the book of Alma, it starts in um, near a hundred 
years before Christ's coming, and it ends about 50 years before. It, it makes me think, and we can dive in, because in Alma 1, this is what happens, but it just makes me think in comparison to Doctrine and Covenants that this was the time that the Lord's setting up his church. Not that the church wasn't set up before Alma, because we know there was, and there was kings and rulers, but this is a new era of the church. It's it's the reign of the judges. And so it's a, it's a new kind of start, a change. As Kevin likes to say, you said when we were talking earlier this week, like a course correction in the church. Right. 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 So and that's very comparative to Doctrine and Covenants because it was the early days of the church being set up by his uh, apostles and prophets and leaders. So, you know, it's also really interesting to think that the the history recorded in the Book of Alma, you know, maybe we don't have all the facts, but it's pretty clear that it was not the dispensation of fullness of times. Yeah. because they they get a lot, but they don't get it all. Mm-hmm. And, and the only reason that the Lord does withhold certain things from people throughout history is because they, they're not ready. And all throughout the book of Alma, I feel like the instruction or the, the lesson is these people are not ready because they were so caught up in worldly things. And, uh, kind of a spoiler alert, that's exactly what's going on now in in our current day. So it is very in in uh, relevant to our day. So yeah. Well I I'm glad we had that discussion before you actually started because it's insightful to think about it. I, I just I've never thought of it before. <laughs> so thanks. So anyway. Um but to bring us back to Alma 1, we are here. This is the reign of the judges. Mosiah has passed away. And now we're going to figure out what's happening. Do you want to read the the book? Yes. Preface? Yeah. So it says, uh, The account of Alma, who was the son of Alma, the first and chief judge over the people of Nephi, and also the high priest over the church. An account of the reign of the judges and the wars and contentions among the people. And also an account of a war between the Nephites and the Lamanites, according to the record of Alma, the first and chief judge. Maybe I'm like looking way too much into it, but isn't it cool how it began the, cer- the same way that it ended? <laughs> yeah, they repeated themselves. <laughs> I think that's... Uh somehow like a, I don't know, because we know that Jesus Christ is the first and the last. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's something there. I want to now look at the, I can't wait to get to the end of the book of Alma and see if maybe some things came around a second time. Like, mm. are we going to learn about things at the beginning of the book of Alma that continue or are, are maybe are wrapping up? In the latter part, we'll, we'll just have to see. And mm-hmm. it's going to be a while <laughs> until we get there. So buckle in. <laughs> so we're in chapter one. I will take the honor of reading the chapter heading. Okay. It says, Nehor teaches false doctrines, establishes a church, introduces priestcraft, and slays Gideon. 
Nihor is executed for his crimes, priestcrafts, and persecutions spread among the people. The priests support themselves, the people care for the poor, and the church prospers. And again, this occurs about 91 to 88 BC. So there's there's a lot to discuss here. Um, Shelby, you, you already started talking about in verse 1 how uh, this is the first year of the reign of the judges. Mm-hmm. Um, from this time forward, King Mosiah, having gone the way of all the earth, <laughs> meaning that he passed away, he's dead. And it says, having warred a good warfare, walking uprightly before God, leaving none to reign in his stead. Nevertheless, he had established laws, and they were acknowledged by the people. Therefore, they were obliged to abide by the laws which he had made. Um, What were your thoughts about that verse? Well, this is jumping ahead. Okay. But I did highlight it because I thought it was interesting. And we find this phrase later in the chapter, actually. And it's in verse 14, where it says, uh, there's a story that we'll talk about, but basically someone breaks the law. And um, it says, according to the law, which has been given to us by Mosiah, our last king, and it has been acknowledged by this people, therefore this people must abide by the law. So twice it says the same phrase, acknowledged by the people, and therefore they have to abide by that law. Hmm. So I think it, I mean, I don't really know. I don't have too much more insight besides the fact that it said twice. So it shows that these people, the laws they're following, they're all very aware of them. And they chose them with their own agency to follow. So the system of democracy here, that it's the voice of the people, and the people are choosing to follow these laws and enforce the laws based on what they believe. And so you can't just change your mind and go back, you know? It's it's the general voice of the people, so... It's interesting because when I read this verse, I, the word obliged kind of st- stuck out to me. It says, therefore, they were obliged to abide by the laws which he had made. Mm-hmm. And I thought, that's an interesting word. What, what does it mean? And then I went to the 1828 Webster's Dictionary, mm-hmm. um, which is a, a cool little exercise to do. A little um, what study, study, uh, tip. study tip for the Book of Mormon. Because if we go and look at the definitions of that time, we'll gain a little bit more insight into what Joseph Smith uh, meant when he uttered the words through translation. And I looked at obliged and I was like, oh, that basically means the same thing that it means today. But I decided just now to look up the word acknowledged. So Mm. the law has been acknowledged by the people. And the dictionary says, the, the participle passive of owned. So mm-hmm. it has some sort of, uh, it's like a ownership. And it says uh, in the definition, confessed or noticed with regard or gratitude, mm-hmm. received with appro- uh, approbation, which I have to define that too, uh, mm-hmm. approval or praise. And so it's not just, 
because I thought like, well, we can acknowledge that there are laws, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we follow them with earnestness. Right. Um, but this is, this is what that's saying. Not only did did they, they chose to do it because they valued the person's, uh, the person who, who, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I should have said that, (laughs) but that's cool. Um, and of course, all these things before, like, I don't know if we necessarily would praise someone for having war to good warfare. <laughs> Instead, our prophet today, President Nelson, we talk about his great work in the medical field. And that somehow esteems him as mm-hmm. being very noble, you know. But if, if you were like a general over an army, we'd be like, oh, this guy's kind of scary. Or like, we'd, we'd <laughs> like, we'd, we would respect him. But given our culture today a doctor is much more esteemed among the people than a military leader but back back then uh the fact that he wore a good warfare or protected his people with the sword just like his father did and mosiah did that really made him a uh, very honored uh, person in leadership so I know I went kind of down a deep rabbit hole there, but I just wanted to dig a little deeper into that verse. I, I thought there was some important stuff to talk about there. Well, it's good because when we read it again in 14, now we'll have a deeper knowledge. It's kind good. of like it. Um, so basically, I like that Mormon, when he abridges this, he sets it up. He's like, hey, you know, it's important what Kevin just talked about and acknowledging the laws like that had to be said first because there's a story that he tells of a man and it's a real story <laughs> and there was a man right that's brought before them and this man is um does it introduce him right away no no it does not it doesn't which is very interesting actually um well we'll just we'll get there when we get there so basically this man he I, I just feel like I can't give justice to summarize what he's doing. Um, so I'm going to read some of the things I highlighted about what this man's doing. So it says, there was a man brought before Alma to be judged, a man who was large and noted for his much strength. Okay, so there's that. He's gone about preaching to the people and that which he term to be the word of God, uh, bearing down against the church. And he is also declaring unto the people that every priest and teacher ought to become popular and they ought not to labor with their hands, but that they ought to be supported by the people. I'm going to pause here because something I wrote on my margins was this is the exact opposite of what King Mosiah had taught only a year into him being gone. Right? So a year of King Mosiah being gone, the reign of judges being set up, and we already have someone coming through doing the exact opposite. And I just thought that was very interesting because we know, I said this last time in last week's podcast, but in episode 90, King Mosiah could see He could see what was up and he knew what was expedient and the type of uh, changes that needed to be made um, to prepare for this next thing. And I wanted to say it wasn't just King Mosiah. It was also it was 
also a joint decision between mm-hmm. Alma, mm-hmm. Alma the Elder, and King Mosiah that this should be the way things are work. Like, yeah, the priests shouldn't be paid for their service as priests. And it goes back to the establishment of the church in the land of Helam under Alma when he baptized the people at the, the waters of Mormon. Mm-hmm. Way back then, when he set one teacher or priest for every 50 of the people, um, it was noted that they would not be uh, esteemed or, or given um, special like privileges. privileges or anything like that. So... There's more. So this is what he's teaching the people, okay? Yeah, because if it was just that, it would just be like, okay, well, that's not really what we do. But if y'all want to go and be paid for your church service, then okay. Because people do that in the world. I mean, it's not... Right. It's not inherently evil, I don't think. No. Well, let's let's just keep going. So verse (laughs) 4. Had some thoughts, but I don't want to go there yet until it's done. Sure. It says, he also testified unto the people that all mankind should be saved at the last day and that they need not fear nor tremble, but that they might lift up their heads and rejoice. That sounds very similar to things we've heard before. Okay. Um, But I think I'm going to keep reading. Okay. For the Lord had created all men and he also redeemed all men, men. And in the end, all men should have eternal life. So I think where we get here, because some people could read this and be like, yeah, we we are all saved. You know, we're saved by the grace of God and and all these things. But what he's saying here is that you don't have to do anything, really. He's not giving. (laughs) He's just saying, just live how you want to live and you'll make it to the celestial kingdom is basically what he's saying. He He's taking away all the responsibility um, that we have when we make covenants with our Heavenly Father. And uh, when we, you know, we know that we do have some effort that we have to put forth. But here he's just kind of taken it away. You don't need to worry because he created us all and he'll redeem us all. But that's not that's not true. (laughs) Like we are saved all in a sense that we will be resurrected. Right. And we will get our bodies reunited. Um, but to have the highest degree of celestial glory, we know that there are certain things that we need to do to qualify for that. You know, it's not just, okay, I'm going to do whatever I want. And he'll just say, go ahead, go, you know, (laughs) the, the real issue with what Nehor is preaching um, is that there's there's some truth in it. He says, yes. he says, for the Lord had created all men and had also redeemed all men. And in the end, all men should have eternal life. So yes, the Lord created all men. He has redeemed all men through the atonement of Jesus Christ. But um, not all men have eternal life. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not guaranteed just because of the atonement of Jesus Christ. It's it's now made possible through the atonement of Jesus Christ. But earlier it says that they need not fear or tremble. Mm-hmm. And if we understand that as meaning repentance, then we understand the clearer gospel principle there um, and the doctrine. You have to have that fear of God. 
we've talked about it before on the podcast. It's been a while, but we've looked up the, you know, into the Bible dictionary for what, what does fear mean? And having fear of God is actually important. So, um, in, in reference to fear of God or, or godly fear, it says in such passages, fear is equivalent to reverence, awe, worship, and is therefore an essential part of the attitude of mind in which we ought to stand towards the all holy God. So, so Nihor saying you, you don't, don't have to do it. any of that. Yeah, you don't need it. But so it's, it's, it's the classic Satan move, okay, of I'm going to give you a truth and then I'm going to pair it with a lie, right? Or I'm going to give you like half a truth and a whole lie. You know, it, he twists it because like I said, when I was reading it, I mean, it doesn't necessarily sound that bad. Like we've heard that we'll be saved in the last day, but he takes out the responsibility. And this is why I think in verse five, so many people begin to support him and give him money. Because they felt like it was easier. <laughs> like, oh, okay, so I don't have to be responsible um, for all these other covenants I've made. So I like what he's saying. So let me support him and give him money. And as a consequence to that, you know, them being paid um, and given money, they begin to be lifted up in the pride of his heart um, to wear costly apparel and they established a church after the manner of this preaching. I wanted to share something from the Book of Mormon student manual, and it's from Elder L. Tom Perry, who's a, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And he said, Nehor's words appealed to the people, but his doctrine, while popular to many, was incorrect. As we face the many decisions in life, the easy and popular messages of the world will not usually be the right ones to choose. And it will take much courage to choose the right. Mm. And I think, I think that sums up kind of what we're talking about with, with regard to, you know, why, why these people were so, so interested mm -hmm. in Nehor's teachings because it made, it made things a lot easier. Like you said, it really did. And so they they keep preaching. I mean, they form a church after this. And so they keep doing the things that they believe, you know, teaching contrary to the word of God. And um, at this point, there's a man. It's so interesting. It's not giving. I'm just noticing it's not giving names yet. But the, oh, yeah, it does in verse 8. So he meets a man who belongs to the church of God or or the true, you know, the church that had been set up by for all these years. And that man is Gideon. Um, and is, it still hasn't said his name. Jeez. So, yeah, it doesn't say Nehor's name yeah. in the scriptures until after he's been committed to death. So interesting. There's got to be something about that. Well, there, because I keep wanting to say his name, but it's not there yet. Yeah, there we, is. We know it's Nihor, right? Nihor, right? Is how you say it. I. We can get to that point in a minute. I don't want to derail our conversation just yet. But there's there's two things that could be possible reasons why we don't see Nihor's name until later. Mm. Okay. So anyway, 
I'm just going to call him Nehor, though. But he contends against Gideon because um, he wants to lead away the people of the church. It says that in verse 7. And he began to contend with them sharply that he might lead away the people of the church. But the man withstood him, admonishing him with the words of God. Now the name of this man of the man was Gideon. And we know about Gideon. We have read about him. <laughs> He's a pretty cool guy. And um, I like it how it describes him in verse 8. And it was it was he who was an instrument in the hands of God in delivering the people out, people of Limhi out of bondage. Um, and Gideon uh, withstands everything this man is saying. Nehor is saying with the words of God. And, and Nehor doesn't like this. It says he was wroth with Gideon. And unfortunately, he draws his sword against Gideon. And he begins to smite him. And because Gideon's old, um, it says stricken with many years, he was not able to withstand his blows and he was slain by the sword. So it's interesting in verse seven, Gideon is able to withstand uh, Nehor's words, words as they contend with one another. And it says admonishing him with the words of God. Mm -hmm. Right. Admonishing, meaning warning and kind of rebuking. Mm -hmm. Right. However, <clears throat> Nehor wasn't able to win in a in a battle of words because he knew that his doctrine was flawed. Yeah. Right. So when Gideon came and and surely we, we missed a lot in this interaction, Gideon comes out and teaches true doctrine with I'm sure scripture to back it up and testimony mm -hmm. and things like that. Uh, and just also experience as a, a faithful saint. Mm -hmm. But, um, and then it says in, in verse nine, like you, you read, uh, because Gideon withstood him with the words of God, he then drew his sword. And this is interesting. Gideon relied on the sword uh, of his mouth or the mm -hmm. word of God, but Nehor relied on his literal sword, which is the arm of flesh. Mm. It's just interesting. Well, and, and that, that, you know, by their fruits, you may know them, mm. right? Other people who are looking on or under, or, or hear about this, who are you going to follow after this? And, and what's crazy <laughs> is that so many people still choose to follow after the the preaching of Nehor and the church that he establishes. Um, it's, it goes for a long time. And that's one of the major issues throughout all the book of Alma is that people keep on adhering to Nehorism. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it just shows because a testament, when someone's slain um, testifying of God's word, those words will come against the blood of that man or the blood of Gideon and all the words he said to Nehor will come against him as a testament at the last day. You know, that I, I tried <laughs> to tell you, but you killed me with your actual sword, you know? And so it's just interesting because we know Gideon was a faithful man, a faithful saint and it's almost like he was prepared for that. I mean, he was prepared to be able to be in a confrontation like that. 
And unfortunately, because of his age, it was his time, right? Heavenly Father wanted him back. And so, but the people of the church, they didn't like that, obviously, because he had just committed a crime. And so they bring him to Alma and Alma is the high priest. And so they are like, all right, Alma, what do we do? So they bring him to him to be judged. In verse 11, it says, it came to pass that he stood before Alma and pled for himself with much boldness. Beside that, I just wrote unrepentant. Right? right. At this point, he's not sorry for what he did. He's probably trying to excuse himself for what he did. Um, Alma notes that this is the first time that priestcraft has been introduced among this people. And behold, he says, thou art not only guilty of priestcraft, but hast endeavored to enforce it by the sword. So we've talked about priestcraft way long ago, and that's actually what we've been talking about this whole time, this idea of, you know, uh, when people preach the word of God with the intent to get gain for themselves. It's not to glorify God. It's to improve their status on the earth, right? Um, uh, Nephi, way back in the day, he warns against uh, priestcraft. He says, don't do them. Mm -hmm. And he gives a pretty solid definition of it. And he said way back in 2 Nephi chapter 26, verse 29, um, Behold, priestcrafts are that men preach and set themselves up for a light unto the world that they may get gain and praise of the world, but they seek not the welfare of Zion. Right? So definitely trying to improve the welfare of Nehor, but not the welfare of the people uh, in in general, right? I think it's, uh, we could talk about priestcraft and relate it to our own life, you know, like in the scriptures to ourselves, um, in the ways that we teach, if we are in teaching callings or um, as parents, sisters, whatever calling we are. And it's just in the only thing I would say about that is that when you're teaching, it's to be done by the spirit, right? By the spirit of truth. And Elder Bednar does say something about this, but it's just important that we're never trying to put the the gain <laughs> or the 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 glory um, back on ourselves. Like, oh, look at me, uh, you know. President Oaks, when he was Elder Oaks, he says. A gospel teacher does not preach to become popular or for the sake of riches and honor. He or she follows the marvelous Book of Mormon example in which the preacher was no better than the hearer, neither the teacher any better than the learner, which is exactly what uh, it comes from the end of this chapter. Yeah, it does That's, talk about and, that. And I've, I don't want to forget this part. At the end, it says both will always look to the master. Mm. It's true. And you can admire somebody for being a great teacher. I mean, that's, you know, I admire, um, I admire Alma the Younger. Like I, <laughs> I admire Nephi, you know, I look to their examples, but I don't put them above my, my savior, you know, because all they did was point me to my savior. 
Right. And so, anyway, like you said earlier, by their fruits, <laughs> you shall know them. There, there's, and I don't, I don't want to go off too far, but there was a, a video that Elder Bednar was in. He was talking to seminary and institute teachers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these these are studs, right? <laughs> People, uh, we've had some awesome institute teachers, and we know some other really good institute teachers. And we we definitely value them and their knowledge, their ability to teach. Um, and one one teacher got up and asked Elder Bednar, he said, you know, I had this experience where this, this young lady came up after a class and said, like, oh, you, the way you said this, it made me feel think this and make these connections. And the teacher said, but I didn't even remember saying any of that. Right. It was the spirit. And he asked Elder Bednar, how do I get her to realize that she needs to be, uh, you know, attributing this to the spirit and not to me. And, and it just showed so much humility from this teacher that he was concerned about, <laughs> treading into priestcraft territory right he's like i don't want anybody to be thinking that i'm the one that's figuring all this stuff out for them because i'm really not i'm just here as as our beloved uh um institute teacher now brother turner he says i just want y'all to come and have an experience with the savior mm-hmm. and it makes me think i don't know why i'm think about this and we can move on after this thought, but we were, it was uh, two weeks ago and on Sunday, the, the younger group of young women that we had, they were in charge where they were doing the lesson and they were teaching about the plan of salvation. And, and there were two leaders in there, me and sister Schofield. And um, obviously I've, I've studied the plan of salvation a lot and it's, it's a marvelous plan. And I learn something new every time. And these and that we can come follow me. We had been learning about the degrees of glory and, you know, all those things. So I'd done even more studies and learned new things. And so as they're asking all these millions of questions that they have, I couldn't help but just think, goodness, if we just um, point them back to the Savior constantly, like, hey, I found my answers by, you know, in the scriptures, praying, fasting, reading, because I can answer it for you, but you got to know it for yourself and know how to find it for yourself when I'm not here, you know, or someone's not there for it. So that's what a good teacher does. They always point you back to the savior and they acknowledge that it's, it's the spirit that's teaching you, not them. You know, they are just the instrument and you can admire a good instrument, but you really got to be focused on the spirit and the Lord. So, and that's, and so coming back to Alma, okay. I know we went off for a second, <laughs> but coming back to Alma, the, the priestcraft is the complete opposite of that, of everything we just talked about. It, it just, it sets the man who's teaching up to be the light um, and not the savior. So Alma's like, this is the first time that this has been introduced and it's going to prove people's entire destruction. It's a pretty, pretty bold statement. <laughs> so we know it's a, it's a serious thing. And not only that, but he's shed the blood of a righteous man. Um, so this Nihor, he's not looking good. He's not in a good spot. So 
this is to verse 14 now. It says, therefore thou art condemned to die according to the law which has been given us by Mosiah, our last king. And it has been acknowledged by this people. Therefore, this people must abide the law. So it brings it back to, I got to follow the law of the land. I, I, it's been spoken. It's been put into, into play. And so Nehor, this is where we finally learn his name. In verse 15, it came to pass that they took him and his name was Nehor. And they carried, carried him upon the top of the hill Manti. And there he was caused, or rather did acknowledge between the heavens and the earth, that what he had taught to the people was contrary to the word of God. So right before he dies, he says, I I didn't teach correct principles and doctrine. And it's interesting that it says there he was caused, or rather did acknowledge. I mean, so, if you know you're going down and you know deep down in your heart that you did something wrong, like you're on your deathbed. I mean, essentially, that's what Nehor is. He knows he's about to right. die. I, If I still had that fear of God somewhere in me, I would want to be confessing too before I die. Yeah. I don't think it did much good for him, though. No. Because, because it was... he was being compelled to yeah. repent. I mean, I think it did something, but... Blessed are those who were not compelled, right? <laughs> In all things. Right. Man, yeah. I think I know what you're referring yeah, I, to. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's like I did like two scriptures. Yeah, I think you combined them. <laughs> the, but, put my tie over my shoulder, but. <laughs> and, you know, and, and I don't necessarily want to judge Nehor. So I'm not his judge. Uh, apparently Alma was his earthly judge. And, and then the Lord will be his eternal judge. Um, but. It does say he suffered an ignominious, ignominious. There you go, death, and that means like shameful, a shameful death. Um, it's pretty nuts. But what blows my mind, okay, and I have a connection to make here. In sixteen, it says, "Nevertheless, this did not put an end to the spreading of priestcraft through the land." So just by killing Nehor because of the love land, it doesn't stop the priestcraft. And I made this connection of the opposite, that when Joseph Smith was killed, uh, all the people thought that by killing Joseph Smith, that when the church was established, I mean, that's going to cut them off. You know, the Mormons can't, no more, right? We'll, we'll get their leader and they'll fall apart. Well, apparently, you know, the opposite is a little bit true for wicked leaders <laughs> yes right um i, I want to say that we have to remember that alma did not sentence at least i believe i believe this alma didn't sentence nehor to death because because he thought oh this is going to solve all of our problems right they sentenced him to death because that the was the law. law of the land yeah and and they had acknowledged it uh in a democratic assembly <laughs> that that's how they were going to deal with murders. Okay. Um, and the, the efforts that go on through missionary work and through the administration of the church, those things are going to be the real methods by which Alma and his other, uh, 
you know, church leaders, they're trying to curtail this priestcraft. And that, I just wanted to make that clear. I don't think there's anything to say that they killed him and they thought they were going to um, end all of this through the, sh the shedding of more blood. Yeah, I agree with you. I just, I think I assumed, but you're right. There's probably not, that was not their intention. They did it because the law of the land. Um, but just, I think in both sides, just because you kill someone <laughs> doesn't mean there's not going to be more of whatever that thing is that they did. So, um, if I may, go ahead. It says you were reading in verse 16, mm -hmm. it didn't put an end to the spreading of priestcraft through the, throughout the land. For there were many who loved the vain things of the world. Mm. And I brought that up at the beginning of our discussion today, is that, that that's the real issue, is that other people, they, they saw this happen, and they realized a few things. They realized, I can get gain if I preach what people want to hear, but I can't enforce it by the sword. And so that segues into the, <laughs> the next half of this chapter. So yes, <laughs> starting in verse 17, it was funny because as I was studying this during the week, I came to ask Kevin for some clarification because I thought I understood, but I wasn't sure. So I'm going to read 17, and I'm going to say the phrase that stuck out to me. So it says, nevertheless, never, nevertheless, <laughs> wow, nevertheless, they durst not lie if it were known for fear of the law, for liars were punished. Therefore, they pretended to preach according to their belief, and now the law could have no power on any man for his belief. So what I was confused about was we're talking about the people who are going forth preaching false doctrine for the sake of riches, right? And praise of the world. And it says that they durst not lie if it were known for fear of the law. So I'm like, okay, so they don't want to lie because liars are punished. So I got that part. But where I was confused was at the end, it says, and now the law could have no power on any man for his belief. And Kevin explained it really good. To me very simple and he called it a loophole <laughs> he said they found a loophole in the law so they're saying well we're not going to do what nehor did and force it by the sword right but we're just going to say this is our belief and you can't kill me now because it's my belief because i'm not going around lying right yeah because uh king mosiah he forbade persecution against members of the church mm -hmm. and also anyone else. So you can't persecute somebody for their beliefs, even if that belief is that they don't believe what you believe. Yeah. So they keep going, <laughs> right? They have a church set up. It's their belief. And they're also in 18, it says they, they also won't steal for fear of the law. So it's a good thing this law is set in place. Like I said earlier, Mosiah set it up. Or I keep saying Mosiah, but we know there was a lot more than just Mosiah. But for for those who steal, who stole were punished. Um, neither did they rob, murder, 
and for he that murdered was punished. So they just don't break any of the laws. But in 19, it says, It came to pass that whosoever did not belong to the church of God began to persecute those that did belong to the church of God and had taken upon them the name of Christ. This is what I find interesting. Okay, In verse 20, it says, They did persecute them and afflict them with all manner of words. It doesn't say anything about physical infliction or persecution. They talked about words. And I just had this thought connecting back to pre-mortal life. It was a war of words that we had trying to figure out which plan to follow, right? Or who to follow. And it's the same thing here. There's there's words, uh, all manner of words going around here. Not not a war of sorts because the law, right? No one wants to get in trouble. Um, anyway. Do you have any thoughts, Kev? Verse 20 and verse 21 uh, are kind of confusing. I want to try to break them down, <clears throat> down a little bit. So in verse 19, it does say um, that, just to repeat it, whosoever, just for my sake, I'm sorry, whosoever did not belong to the church of God began to persecute those that did belong to the church of God and had taken upon them the name of Christ. In verse 20, yea, they did persecute them and afflict them with all manner of words. And this because of their humility. So certainly not the persecutor's humility, but the humility of the members of the church of God. Mm. Right? And then it has a semicolon, so it continues the sentence. Because they were not proud in their own eyes and because they did impart the word of God one with another without money and without price. So people without like outside the church were persecuting people in the church because of their humility. Okay. Because they were humble enough to not preach um, for the sake to get money. Verse 21 now there was a strict law among the people of the church that there should not any man belonging to the church arise and persecute those that did not belong to the church and that there should be no persecution among themselves. And nevertheless, there were many among them. So among the people who did belong to the church, who began to be proud and began to contend warmly with their adversaries, even unto blows. Yea, they would smite one another with their fists. So this is this is interesting. Like I, I don't understand exactly how this happened. So the people who were humble uh, were being persecuted, and they were being persecuted with words, not with like, not with being smitten on their cheeks or uh, driven like a dumb ass, right? Right. They were being uh, made fun of because, like, this is how I see verse 20, is that the people who didn't belong to their church were like, y'all are, y'all are dumb, basically. You can be making, you could be making money and getting gain, and what are you doing? Like, making fun of them, like, trying to make them feel bad with their words, like, but they're not going to do anything because they're not the type of people to come back at that, right? 
Well, apparently they they do. Some of them do. They they get to be proud. They become proud, and then they begin to contend with their adversaries even unto blows. So there are some that do contend, right? But I don't think it's, is it the majority? No. Yeah, no. I think it's just a, a select number of people who, who do say, I'm not going to put up with this anymore. Um, and they begin to persecute the others with, with blows, with their fists, though, not with swords. And one, the reason that I'm bringing this up and I'm, you know, because then it continues into the second year of the reign of Alma. Um, well, this is happening in the second year. Oh, yes, yes. Nehor happened me. in the first year, and then the second year, this is happening. Right. It says, now this was in the second year of the reign of Alma. You're right. And it was the cause of much affliction to the church. Yea, it was the cause of much trial with the church. For the hearts of many were hardened, and their names were blotted out. They apparently entered into transgression. Hmm that they were remembered no more along among the people of God. And also many withdrew themselves from among them. So, you know, what, what we're seeing, and I want to make it clear that I don't know all the details. That's why I'm saying that I'm a little bit confused about how this happened. But if we liken it unto our day, you know, nobody's coming to our houses and breaking down the door and dragging us out into the street and killing us because we're members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Instead, they make elaborate YouTube videos <laughs> debunking our religion, uh, criticizing or, you know, humiliating our leaders and us and, and trivializing our sacred things. And, you know, all of this can, can do a couple different things for some people. Uh, as with the people back here in the second year of the reign of Alma, they got offended by this uh, persecution of words, and they go and, and start fighting with people. They want to, you know, use their their fists, um, and that leads to not only does it lead to legal action <laughs> on a on a personal basis. But it also it it makes um, it makes your cause less legitimate. Like, oh, you you can't handle somebody talking, you know, about you about your your religion. You're just gonna act out, and then. But then it also causes some people who, um, you know, although they don't act out, they do feel. Um, they feel ashamed or they feel uh, left out and they, they then withdraw themselves from the church and they say, you know, I don't really, I don't really want to be persecuted for what I believe. And and if it's easier just to not believe this, then I'll just go and believe other things that are more, you know, everybody gets saved, right? Mm -hmm. If, If that's the popular thing to believe, then that's what I'll believe because I mean, and it's a lot easier to have a conversation at a dinner table with, with friends and, and, you know, that, oh, I just believe everybody goes to heaven, right? Mm-hmm. And luckily, that's pretty close to the truth. <laughs> but, 
um, there are so many other facets and, and wonderful doctrines that, that make that so much more special. So I just wanted to say that I, I think that's how I interpret these few verses and liken them to our day. I hope all that made sense. <laughs> I would say, I would just add to what Kevin said, finishing off with verse 25. Um, it says, now this was a great trial to those that did stand fast in the faith. Nevertheless, they were steadfast and immovable in keeping the commandments of God. And they bore with patience the persecution which was heaped upon them. Um, and more comes of this, but what I would say is that this reminds me today of a lot of people who leave the church and it's, it's hard, you know, family members who you love um, decide to leave and, and for whatever reason. And I, I think in verse 25, what is so insightful to me is that they just, they kept it simple they, they just kept it simple. They said, let's not complicate <laughs> and add in, you know, being paid for these things and all these things. All God has asked us to do is, you know, keep the faith and keep our commandments and just be patient. And that's what these people do who stand steadfast in the church amidst, while amidst all these people who are leaving or, you know, doing the opposite of what the church is saying to do, you know? Yeah. So that's got to be a pretty confusing time um, in the church. But when you go back to the, the basics, it's, it's just about staying on the covenant path. The first principles and ordinances of the gospel, faith, repentance, baptism, receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, and enduring to the end. They just go back to that, and that's what they do. <laughs> right? I really appreciate your addition to that. And, and I want to use that to segue back uh, to the scriptures um, and let's look at what's happening in the church, right? Mm -hmm. We know what's happening somewhat outside the church at this time. Um, we also know that there are some things trying to penetrate the church mm -hmm. and, and the, the church body. But in 26, we see what's actually occurring within the church. Mm -hmm. It says when the priests left their labor to impart the word of God unto the people. So check mark, the priests are laboring with their own hands. So they're doing the right things. They're not doing priestcraft. Uh, when they do that, the people also left their labors to hear the word of God. And when the priest had imparted unto them the word of God, they all returned again diligently unto their labors. And the priest, not esteeming himself above the, above the hearers, for the preacher was no better than the hearer, neither was the teacher any better than the learner. Thus they were all equal, and they did labor every man according to his strength. So they're, they're remaining steadfast in the faith uh, and what's been established. They did impart of their substance, even every man, uh, or excuse me, every man according to that which he had, to the poor and to the needy, and the sick, and the afflicted, and they did not wear costly apparel, yet they were neat and comely, and thus they did establish the affairs of the church, um, and thus they began to have continual peace again, notwithstanding all their persecutions. And you know what? I just want to say, 
again, to liken it unto our day, when we went to church today, and when we've, you know, as we've gone to church for, you know, several years together, and when I'm sure when we both went to church separately, um, when you, when you walk into the meeting house, you, you, you can't help but wonder, why do people have any problem with what we're doing here? Like, this is a, this is a pretty solid, pretty wholesome situation. The, the leaders are up there, um, you know, some of them on the pulpit, uh, and, and they have jobs that they've left, um, temporarily, like just, just for today or just for when they go to impart the word or to, to labor in the church. But you know what? Tomorrow's Monday and they're going to go back to work and they're not any better than me. And I'm not any better than anybody else here. And, um, and so the things that were going on, uh, here, the good things we, we know that they're happening today. Uh, despite all the persecutions. And it's interesting because all they do in my margins in 27, all I wrote was all they did was do what they should do. (laughs) (laughs) They just kept doing the things that God asked them to do. Okay. Don't esteem yourself above another man because everyone's your brother. Love them. Love God. Love thy neighbor. Preach the word. Maybe you'll get some people to, to come back and remember, you know, the covenants that they made and, that's what leads them back to peace. <laughs> it's just a, a time of persecution that happens. And then they just keep pushing forward. And it, and it eventually gets back to this, this peace again. So it's all you got to do is keep doing the basics, even when persecution arises. Whether that's persecution of words or fists or whatever, you just keep doing what Heavenly Father asked you to do. And it's it's here. You will make it through. You know, you you will make it through. Even if you were a Gideon and were slayed by the sword, it's okay. You still made it through because <laughs> we got a, an eternal perspective, right? So anyway, I just had to point that out, that they just kept doing what they were supposed to do. And, you know, with, with peace... And then prosperity, which comes in verse 29, mm. there's a risk, and we've seen it before, that when pride comes into it, you know, people being proud because of their wealth and material wealth, right, then they they get a little haughty, <laughs> right? It's the pride cycle. It's the pride cycle. Yeah. And what's so cool is that here, at least in the second year of the reign of Alma, the people, they resist the downward spiral uh, that, that we find in the pride cycle. So they, uh, in verse 29, began to be exceedingly rich, having abundance of all things whatsoever they stood in need. Um, and it goes on to say all the things that they have. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and thus, in their prosperous circumstances, they did not send away any who were naked or that were hungry or that were athirst or that were sick or that had not been nourished. And they did not set their hearts upon riches, 
Therefore, they were liberal to all, both old and young, both bond and free, both male and female, whether out of the church or in the church, having no respect to persons as to who or as to those who stood in need. Thus, they, they did prosper and become far more wealthy than those who, who did not belong to the church. Which is funny. Well, not funny. <laughs> Let me go back. Um, it was a phrase. You said, I, I'm losing my thought, but they, oh, their intent. They did not set their heart upon riches. Their intent was correct. Their intent was to serve God. And by serving, how do you serve God? Well, you serve others. And they knew that. And so they're not going to deny anybody in or outside of the church, no matter what their situation is, they're giving because they know that they depend on God for all this anyway. <laughs> so it's theirs, it's his to give, not theirs. Um, and so I just think that's so interesting. Their intent, their intent is right. The church's intent is where it needs to be, where the Savior would want it to be and why they're so prosperous and, and not yet falling into this cycle of pride because they keep their intent right and their heart right. And uh, it's funny because in the very beginning, this chapter starts with men wanting to be wealthy, really, <laughs> and to prosper and to get gain. And we see it done in a way through priestcraft, and we see it's possible. Um, but yet it says here that the people who belong to the church actually became more wealthy <laughs> than those who were trying to attempt priestcraft. So, and that's not always the case uh, today. There are a lot of people who teach priestcraft and who are, I don't know, the church is pretty dang successful, not successful, but wealthy. We, we own a lot of land. Yeah, I'm not trying to I get think, prideful here, but I'm just saying. Anyway, I, I saw, I I saw in your eyes like this <laughs> glimmer of pride or something. Not, I'm, anyway. No, I'm not trying to be prideful. I, I was saying that there's probably people who. Here's have the thing. priestcraft who are more successful than the church, but then I thought about the church as a worldwide whole, and I'm like, actually, right. I don't really know. If you That's were to if you were to distribute out the wealth among all the members of the church mm -hmm. and see that, like, well, some people who have lived righteously and played their cards right and done done the things which are expedient and in temporal, you know, worldly affairs, right? Um still keeping the commandments yeah they they do well for themselves there's some people who struggle who are in the church too but they're they're not left destitute because again people in the church they don't send any who are naked or hungry or a thirst away however if you look at some people who do uh, uh perform priestcraft and let's let's I want to give a shout out to our good friend Jared from Un Unshaken Saints. He made the connection, and I, I wish I would have brought this up earlier. He he said, think of priestcraft, and then like priest, instead of priesthood, priestcraft. Mm -hmm. And so a craft is something that you do to earn a living, right? Mm -hmm. It's your, it's your, um, occupation so if you're using the priesthood or using mm -hmm. the gospel to turn a profit yeah then and and not really 
worrying about other people's welfare uh, as much as your own. I mean, maybe you you do a little donation, or maybe you have some good programs in your church that do help, but really you're the one sitting like a fat cat, right? That's the issue. And so I don't really know where I was going with that. It's good. I brought it up because I was talking about those who did the, who originally in the beginning were doing priestcraft, you know, they were seeking the wealth and, and all of that. But the people of the church were keeping the commandments and becoming prosperous. And they were actually more wealthy than those who did priestcraft. I think that's why you brought it up. And in verse 32, the people who did not belong to the church, they did indulge themselves in sorceries and idolatry and idleness and babblings and envyings and strife wearing costly apparel they had to they had to get the costly apparel from somewhere right but we assume that it was not from you know wholesome work and labor okay they did a lot this is a really long list of what was going on <laughs> you only got halfway through i know it, it continues uh, they being lifted up in the pride of their own eyes persecuting lying thieving robbing, I guess that's where they got the costly apparel, committing whoredoms and murdering and all manner of wickedness. Nevertheless, the law was put in force upon all those who did transgress, transgress it in as much as it were possible, which I like that at the end, it was like, listen, we can't catch everybody. Some people are going to find those loopholes. Mm -hmm. Some people are going to evade uh, investigation, you know, things like that. Um, and then in verse 33, we close out the chapter. It says, it came to pass that by thus exercising the law upon them, every man suffering according to that which he had done, they became more still and durst not commit any wickedness if it were known. Therefore, there was much peace among the people of Nephi until the fifth year of the reign of the judges. I wrote right next to that verse, temporary. <laughs> the whole thing is just about... This is a temporary solution. Yes, the law, you know, capital punishment, which is a theme that runs through this chapter. Yeah, it can deter a certain number of people. It's not going to deter everybody. The only thing that really changes behavior is the gospel of Jesus Christ and repenting and, and becoming a new creature in Christ. And, you know, you can enforce the law and that will make people become, you know, more still mm -hmm. to the point that they, they don't commit any wickedness if it were known. But that is a temporary solution. And so, and as it says, the, the peace among the people persisted until the fifth year the reign of the judges so that's what we're going to be talking about next week the fifth year of the reign of the judges so at this point whatever happened between you know after all this happened in year two to year five was not expedient for us to know until we get to the fifth year so yeah that's where we're going to pick up in alma chapter two next week um and it, it's it's packed in there too. <laughs> There's yeah. a lot in there, so hopefully we'll be able to get through that. And if we don't get through it in one, we can do two. But I'm excited.
Awesome. There's a lot. But thanks for listening. Share this podcast with others to help them learn more about their Savior. I hope that we saw that. That's the thing. I hope that we saw our Savior in this. I hope we're not. I don't know. I hope we're being good co-host of the Book of Mormon <laughs> podcast. So yeah, with our Christ-centered conversation, yeah. I I totally believe we do. You know, I mean, we yeah. So I think we can listen back to this and definitely say that we did our due diligence in uh, acknowledging the Savior in, in all of this. So. Yeah. Until next time. We'll see you then. Bye, y'all.